My extra special guest this week is James Collis. He is the founder and managing director of Revere Agency, a phenomenally successful insight-driven B2B marketing agency with clients like Avenard, VMware, WorldPay, and Sitecore. We discuss what it takes to build a well-beating tech agency today and what mistakes to avoid along the way. He founded his first agency, Second Two, in 2001 and built it to become one of the most successful B2B marketing agencies in 2011. He later sold it to an AIM-listed group, but realized that they shortchanged themselves and, in his words, learned how not to sell a business. If you are even remotely interested in anything to do with how to build a B2B tech agency today in just six years, how to attract top talent to work at your agency, they've now switched to a complete working from anywhere model. Uh, we also talk about what's important now to attract an increasingly purpose-driven, socially motivated millennial workforce who actually care less about financial incentives and increasingly are concerned about social issues like race and inequality. If you're interested in any of that stuff, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with James Collins. James Collis is the founder and managing director at Revere Agency, an insight-driven B2B technology agency. Clients include Avenard, VMware, WellPay, NetApp, Sitecore, just go down the list of some of the biggest B2B tech brands in the world. The Revere Way is about intuition as well as knowledge, expertise, and real-life experience. They offer communications, customer engagement, nurture solutions in complex data-driven B2B environments all shaped by the five forces of insight, creativity, content, technology, and talent. They were also awarded Best Channel Marketing Agency at the CRN Sales and Marketing Awards this year. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. James Collis, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hi, Nathan. Thanks very much for having me. How are you? Really good. Thanks for um, thanks for being on the show. Really excited to speak to you. You, you did business studies at university uh, for your degree. And you did a placement year with ICL, the huge hardware and software company that later morphed into Fujitsu. Tell us how you got your start in the world of B2B tech. <laughs> yeah, I, ICL dates me a bit, I think, doesn't it? Just um, a little. Yeah, so uh, I was always into computers as a kid and you know, I didn't really know I wanted to go into that, that sector for a, for a career. Um, but I had the opportunity to to do that as a placement year on my degree, and yeah, leapt at the chance. And the job actually was a was a Marcom's role, so I was actually working with agencies and writing and creating case studies. Mm. So didn't know it at the time, but I guess it uh, set the tone for you know the rest of my career. You then spent three years at Ingram Micro from ninety five to nineteen ninety eight. You looked after their software vendors. There, you made a lot of contacts in the technology landscape. What did you learn about B2B marketing there that would ultimately prove useful for the rest of your career? Yeah, that was a that was a brilliant time. Such a fun time. Mm. Mid 90s was a was a great time to be to be at Ingram Micro. Had some fantastic colleagues, you know, the channel was channel was great. It was a wash with with healthy budgets. Um, mm. and over the 3 years I was there, Ingram in the UK doubled in size. So, you know, it was extremely successful, a lot of fun. I think that, you know, one of the things I learned there was was the importance of 
continuously evolving what you do. So, you know, this is a very long time ago. It was just sort of internet was just starting to become a thing over, over that time. One of the things we did was move from fact shots to emails. So, you know, again, dates me quite a lot, but when I started there, we used to send out daily offers to our, to, you know, to the resellers by fax. Whereas, you know, then that evolved over, over a couple of years to, you know, and all of a sudden faxes were completely obsolete uh, and emails were the thing. And I think that, you know, that's a, it's an important part of being a successful agency um, as much today or even more so today than, than it was then. You know, you have to, you have to listen to your clients um, and you have to evolve your services to not only, you know, deliver what they want, but also obviously to take advantage of new technologies and, and new thinking. Really, really fascinating. You always had the idea of setting up your own shop. And in 2001, you set up Second Two and built it to be one of B2B marketing magazines, top 10 UK B2B marketing agencies in 2011. It was based on what you didn't like about working with previous agencies. What what didn't you like about working with previous agencies? Yeah, so it, it, it was a very different time. You know, it's about 20 years ago. And back then, there weren't very many technology specialist agencies. Um, and you know, in, in the ones that there were, I think there was a, there was quite a lack of understanding of, of tech, uh, and also channels in particular. And of course, you know, that impacts the relevance and quality of everything you do. So you have to really, I think, understand the technologies, how to talk about them and the markets that you're going into. So, you know, if you don't have that, the quality of your planning, your creative, your copy, it all just, just kind of suffers. So. That was the first thing. And also, I think we, we found there were quite a lot of sort of customer service issues that, that we found. So we, we felt generally the agencies weren't very good at delivering service to us. And it's mostly the small things and, and the basics, you know, like good communication with your clients, mm. um, you know, setting expectations and things like that. So, you know, a combination of those things, we, we felt we could do it better. Um, and, you know, those basics are still the fundamentals of, of what we do today. The landscape's changed. There's a lot of, you know, much, many more decent technology agencies around now, obviously. But, you know, for me, the basics of, of what makes us successful are, are the same. So understanding the space we're in and every aspect of that and, you know, working well and delivering good service to our clients. Hmm. Second Two is a full-service uh, creative agency, as you said, that developed and implemented channel end-user integrated marketing campaigns for the world's leading companies like EMC, Hitachi, and Symantec. You successfully negotiated the sale of Second Two to an AIM-listed group, Adventist Group PLC, in 2008. And then you say you learned how not to sell a business there. <laughs> Explain. Yeah, so I'm not really talking about the technical process of, you know, of, of how you sell a business, although obviously we learned a huge amount about that during that process. Um, but I think we probably didn't know enough to do the right due diligence on who we were selling to. So, you know, it was a fantastic experience. It was a great sort of personal life event, I guess, a, re a really exciting time. But ultimately, it impacted the future of the business you know, I think stop stopped us being the agency we could have been if, you know, we'd we'd probably picked a better or different company to, to sell to. Hmm. And and you say one of the main takeaways from that experience was to focus more on culture and and alignment. So could you just explain sort of sort of what you mean by, by culture and alignment? Are you saying I guess 
get the right people on the bus, the A players on the bus, and then sort of unite them around a common vision and, and purpose? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think that the, gr- the group we sold to, um, their approach was to, was to leave their different agencies on their own to work out between themselves if they could if they could work together and pretty much you know leaving you to your own devices and of course you know that was a very sort of old school agency aggregator kind of uh, kind of setup and you know very old school earnouts and when everyone's focused on maximizing their earnout it's very very difficult to get to get businesses to focus on maybe how they work better together to you know, collectively achieve more. Um, also in the group, there was, you know, very little sort of added value at a group level, very little infrastructure and, you know, not much support or not many people that we could we could learn from. So, you know, we were very focused on the sale, I'd say, in mm-hmm. hindsight. And, you know, we should have been more focused on what the future of the group and the agency was. You know, how is moving into a larger group going to help us be as good as we can be and achieve more? How's it going to get us better opportunities and better opportunities for all of our people as well? Hmm. You know, cultural alignment is key to that. So, you know, do we work in the same way? Do we think the same or, you know, in some of the same ways? And, you know, do we want the same things? And really in that in that experience, we, we didn't really, we, we weren't uh, smart enough, I guess, or experienced enough to, to, to be thinking about those things in the longer term beyond the three-year traditional earnout period. I see. That's really interesting. I, I guess now that you've got that experience, that's um, that's something that I, I guess you won't repeat for a second time, if if indeed you do go down down that route again. So you sold the business when it was roughly around thirty five people. It went into administration at roughly around sixty people in twenty twelve. It then rebranded to the agency Together, uh, who was later and that was later sold to Next Fifteen. You then took nine months off uh, and started a new a, a new company called Brew. And you had an exclusive contract with Toshiba, huge contract, two million pounds a year, but ninety-five percent of your revenue was with one client. Yeah. It's a very dangerous position to put yourself in. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that was a that was a fabulous opportunity, and the opportunity was there to build a large team very quickly. So that was a you know that contract was in place from the start, and wow. a lot of the fundamentals of the agency were were built around that contract. You know, when we started Second Two in 2001, there were just two of us for about 18 months. And pretty much at that point, you know, all all you generally did was design for print. Whereas clearly today, you need a much broader set of skills to provide the sophistication that clients need today. So, you know, you you need good planners, you need video designers, you need social media experts, you need developers. So... What Brew was, and that was in 2013, was an opportunity to, to, to put all that in place very quickly. So within, within uh, four months, we had 26 people and we covered all of those skills off. Yeah, it, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a really exciting time. Um, obviously, you know, so much to do and so much to achieve. And it's one of those times where, you know, as a startup, you kind of feel you're, you, know, you genuinely feel you're achieving something every day. But of course, of course you know, having such a big client is a, is a real double-edged sword so you know Toshiba's decline over the last few years has has clearly been well documented and that gave us a lot of challenges um, uh, as a business Um, but you know I think we there was no real real secret to how we how we managed that just in continuing to 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 do what we do uh, 
believe in what you do, you know, and, and try and do it as well as possible. And, you know, we're fortunate that today Toshiba is still a, a, a very good and significant client for us. Um, but it's now less than 5% of our business. So you know, c- certainly some luck along the way in terms of managing that. Really interesting. Incidentally, how, how did you win Toshiba as a client at, at that stage? Yeah, so pre- so previous um, previous relationships and, and at that point they, they were going through a bit of a restructuring and we helped them to consolidate a lot of their creation of, of, of content and, and product assets from that I think they were using a range of about eight or nine different agencies for different things and we helped them consolidate that into into one agency. So yeah, that was the that was the reason that, that that relationship came up. Really interesting. Biggest learning from that experience? Go for it. Um, I think, you know, know your risks um, and mitigate for them as much as possible. But you know, I don't think you can do anything without risk. And uh, you know, if we hadn't done that then Revere wouldn't wouldn't exist today and uh, you know I wouldn't be talking to you um, so yeah most definitely you know you got, you got to take some risks definitely well let's talk a little bit about Revere because yeah. Brew later evolved into Revere you're an insight driven technology marketing agency that puts B2B and technology brands where they want to be ahead and as we said, clients include some of the biggest B2B tech brands in the world, Avanade, VMware, WellPay, just go down the list. What problems do you solve for your clients? So obviously we, we, do, we do lots and lots of things, but I think, I think fundamentally what we do is we help our clients communicate and get their message across to various audiences, you know, whatever those audiences are, prospects, customers, staff, uh, potential recruits, you, you know, you name it. I, th- I think that one of the core roles of a technology specialist agency, the reason they exist for me, is to help clients create customer-centric propositions. It is a bit of a cliche, but tech businesses, you know, are, are quite often a bit insular in that respect. And I think agencies like us, you know, we play a big part in helping them get their message right. But then, of course, obviously, there's much more than that. And I think, you know, our focus is to try to help them get, you know, deep and un- a deep and detailed insight into their audiences uh, so that therefore everything that, that we do for them, the strategy, the planning, those propositions, the creative or, or the routes to market that you choose, you know, works because it's based on a, a, a detailed understanding of the people that you're trying to talk to. And I think, you know, all of that, it, it, it sounds really obvious, uh, but it's not usually done very well. And it, it's, it's not as easy to do as it sounds. Sure, as it says, yeah. Yeah. So give us an example of, of what you mean by that. What's an example of a piece of client work or a campaign that you're particularly proud of? So, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we've recently been working with, with Avanard on a, a global campaign, basically in response to, to COVID-19. So, you know, Avanard helps its clients to fundamentally structure their, their businesses, their offerings, so that they can, you know, give their customers the the best possible experiences um and obviously the the pandemic has has proven to lead to lots of businesses needing to make very rapid changes to 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 how they work how how, and what they do improving their online offerings and and so on so you know within a within a space of about a a four-week time frame we work with avanade to come up with a global creative campaign called rethink 
which you know has a has a then a, a subline of respond, reset, and renew. And what that does is it takes a, a you know a very a very solid message about how Avanard can help you in, in the current time, but then relate it to everything that's going on within that product portfolio that Avanard has. And I think that you know if it wasn't for our long-term relationship with them and our sort of deep understanding of of their offerings, but also their customers that's built up over that time, it certainly wouldn't be possible to to, to create and execute a, a campaign of that scale so quickly. Hmm. Really, really fascinating. So, so you said a moment ago, some of the things that differentiate you or some of the things that are easy to say, but hard to do are to do with sort of execution, sort of doing what you say you're going to do and mm. being really uh, sort of thorough around sort of executing some of the client campaigns that you've outlined for your clients what makes revere different special stand out uh yeah so i think i think i think our methodology is good you know we 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 firmly believe in in how we how we do what we do and the insight driven approach we take uh but then of course the quality of our, of our team who deliver it so that starts with client services team and you know our approach is absolutely to to consult with our clients on their briefs. So, you know, to, to ask the hard questions, we never just take a brief. We, you know, we pull it apart. We ask, you know, and work with the client to understand why are we doing this? How is it going to be different? How is it going to stand out in the market? Because, you know, there's so, there's so much noise. There are so many campaigns. There's so much content that's, you know, buying for everybody's time mm. that you absolutely need that. And then, you know, I think obviously off the back of that, the quality of, 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 planners the writers the the creative people um and also for digital delivery as well so that's part of it and then i think the other part is that i think we're i think we're good at understanding our clients and their culture and their business so you know when you when a client takes on a new agency um it's a really big investment big investment of time both for the client and for the agency it's not an easy thing to do Mm. Um, and, you know, our approach is absolutely to, to invest the hours that we need to at the beginning of that relationship to um, make sure that, you know, we really understand them and we can be as valuable as possible for them, you know, as soon as possible. I think that's a, that's a really important part of our, of our approach. That's, that's really interesting. So, so it's interesting what you say about the, the risk for the client hiring an agency as, as much as the risk for the agency taking on the client and, and delivering them. I, I don't think enough attention is given to the risk that the client is taking on because so much of what is expected of, of the client and their returns is in the hands of, of, this, of, of, of the agency that they yeah. hire. In your opinion, what's the best way for a brand to, to find an agency that can deliver and execute on, on a brief um, and really deliver and outperform their objectives. So I think that if I was a client, I'd be I'd be probably looking for that in the way that I probably buy everything else in my life, which is referrals, recommendations, word of mouth. So you you know you have to have the the look. So if you recommend an agency to me, I need to go to the, be able to go to their site. I need to be able to research about them. It needs to all look right, and they need to come across you know professionally and like they know what they're doing. But you know, ultimately, I'm going to have a much higher opinion or, you know, come from a much better starting place if I've got a, 
a good referral mm. from you know somebody somebody I know and trust. But mm. you know, m- most important thing for me for a client is that you have you, you have to invest the time because if you don't invest the time in training your agency, giving them the people within the client business to talk to so that the agency can skill themselves up. As I say, often in their own time, it's often something we would do at the beginning of a relationship, then um, you're not going to get a great result out of it. Mm, really, really interesting. So so just give us an idea of how Revere has grown then over the last sort of six years or so, sort of just high level numbers, 2013 to 2020 people, clients, revenue, locations, etc. Join me, Nathan Anibaba, on Wednesday the 14th of October at 4pm GMT for our epic webinar, Seven Priorities for Rapid Profitability and Cost Reduction for Agencies. You will learn what tools agencies are using to streamline, grow and scale their businesses, how to improve your project margins, ways to nurture profitable client relationships, effectively manage your sales funnel, get paid faster by clients and shorten your billing cycle, better calculate your cost rate through project life cycles and be appropriately staffed at all times to service client demand. If you're remotely interested in any of those topics, then this is the webinar for you. I will be joined by an all-star cast of Richard Kazia, the founder and CEO of Wilderness Agency, Zuba Vintani, the COO of White Stratus, Kay Masinek from Google Cloud. I'll be hosting. So join me on the 14th of October at 4pm for our world-class event, Seven Priorities for Rapid Profitability and Cost Reductions. Details to book are in the description. See you then. Yeah, so um, we have been Revere now for just over three years. Uh, and in that time, uh, turnover has gone up from about two million pounds a year to about five million pounds a year. So hmm. that's, over, that's over the last couple of years. And our teams teams grown from thirty people to fifty, um, hmm. which is you know it's great. Um, hmm. I, I, I think our bigger achievements are are the clients we now have and the relationships that we have with them. So you know some of our biggest clients are, are you know absolutely leaders in their sectors. So. You look at people like like Avenard, like WorldPay, like VMware, uh, and we 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 do a lot of work in in channel, um, and we work with uh, West Coast, and we work with uh, Softcat, and again, you know, massive leaders in their field, and you know, we've got now, I think, compared to a few years ago, you know, very well established, strategic, and in a lot of cases, global relationships. Hmm. So you know, I think that's 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 been superb um, for me personally. Um, you know what what I look at as one of our sort of biggest achievements over the last few years. We've got one office which is in Marlow, although it's it's closed at the moment. Um, but you know, as I say, we work with clients globally. We've got quite a lot of US-based clients that that we that we service from here. Um, it works really well, and you know, the current situation has has, has definitely helped to make that more acceptable to some clients mm. really really fascinating so five million turnover 50 50 people like i guess that is really born out of the size of the client accounts that you're sort of going after and the and the top tier accounts that you're focusing on what is your approach to to new business outbound inbound based on the strength of the brand 
Yeah, so I guess we're a, we're a, we're a typical uh, agency that, um, you know, we, we do okay, but we, we could do more. So uh, we've ramped up in the last 12 months quite significantly the volume of, uh, volume of content that we create for ourselves. Uh, it's always a, a, a difficult thing to do as an agency because you're you know, constantly working to hit client demand. Mm. And, you know, we've definitely done quite a lot of work on increasing our, our visibility and our presence. I think over the years we've been quite a well-kept secret. So, yeah, we, we work on that. Most of, our, most of our business comes from, new business comes from, from word of mouth. Uh, and, of course, you, when you work with such large clients, quite a lot of your, your new business will come from new contacts within existing clients because, obviously, there's a lot of budget holders in you know, some of the, the big brands that we're talking about. Mm. And then you spoke a moment ago about differentiation. You know, there's um, there's a lot of noise out there on, online. I think especially more so now because events and face-to-face meetings aren't happening now. So everyone's sort of moving all of their communications online. How do the best B2B brands today stand out in this crowded, noisy marketplace? Yeah, sure. So I think, you know, obviously the the, the move to virtual events from from physical events is is high in a lot of people's minds. And that is a discussion that, you know, clearly we've been having with a lot of our clients. We don't do a huge amount of work in terms of physical events, but we do quite a lot in terms of, in terms of virtual events with our clients. But, you know, just, just transplanting activity from physical to digital, you know, just that in itself doesn't work. There's mm. clearly now more virtual events than you can shake a stick at, mm. right? So those events still need to offer high engagement value and they need to be compelling. There are, a lot of ways that you can do that and stand out um, and differentiate, you know, so you can make your event successful through creativity, interactivity, you know, great content and speakers, relevance to your audience, but ultimately you really have to provide value and show, you know, the audience what it is they're going to get for giving you their time. Um, however, I think, you know, as a, as a wider, as a wider point, I think that, the winning B2B brands aren't just jumping on the nearest B2B activity bandwagon. And what, what this is, I think for me is, uh, it's an excellent opportunity to, to review the entire approach to, to the marketing plan. If you like, it's a great opportunity to do that. And I think the best brands are building, you know, strong consultative relationships, really helping their their customers and their prospects to deal with you know their new challenges so hmm. go back to that avenard campaign that i mentioned that that's doing you know exactly that hmm. let's talk a little bit about talent and and recruitment of, of talent in, into the agency you say that recruitment of the right people has has become much harder recently which, which roles specifically are harder to recruit now and how do you attract top talent to work at revere yeah, this is this is a, this is a really interesting area, and I think it's one that has, has has changed and evolved, you know, significantly probably over the last the last two or three years. So, you know, the market's grown, but you know, as we said before, so is the number of specialist agencies. So, so there's definitely a lot more competition for for the best people, and then also you've got you've got some roles where they're not just agency roles, right? So, if you think about developers, developers could do a great job in an agency, but equally they could work in a a whole range of different types of businesses, right? Yeah, I mean, anything and everything, right? So, you know, I think, I think if we talk about the roles where there's, I think there's a specifically a skills gap, then, then I'd have to say the most common ones for those is absolutely developers. 
and and I think copywriters as well. I think it can be very hard to find good B two B copywriters, um, but the, the the point applies to all roles because okay. you know it's it's really important to recruit the best people, and you know the approach we take is you wait for the right person rather than jump in the gun. And, you know, we, we, we've been known in the past for that to take up to 12 months to find the right person, mm. but it is absolutely, you know, the right thing to do. So, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely a need as a, as a, as a business and as, as an agency to have a much greater focus on how you attract and, and how you appeal to, you know, the best talent. And so, you know, I'm sure, we're not alone, but we've we've done a lot of work on this in the last couple of years, you know, mm. trying to make Revere just, you know, a great place to work because, you know, our, our best advocates for for uh, new starters are, are our current employees. And actually quite a lot of, of our new starters come from referrals from, from our staff. So, you know, we have a we have a program called Boost, which, you know, is focused on uh, training and development and benefits. So, you know, everyone in the business has a personal development plan and, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis on, on their input to that. So everyone is guiding and steering their own personal development plan. And, you know, that's supported by sort of, you know, comprehensive training programs. Right. Um, and as far as benefits, I think, uh, again, a sort of sign of the times, it's, it's, it's very, very much focused on wellness. So, you know, in addition to private medical, we do lots to, to educate the team in, in, in that area. We've got an on-site gym. We've got some Revere branded company bikes that people can, can use at lunchtime in the evenings. We, we have mm-hmm. yoga sessions in the office and mm-hmm. massage sessions and so on. So, you know, and then, of course, the, the, the social side is also a really important part of, mm. of, you know, being a good place to work. Sure. You know, I think agencies typically pretty good at that that's quite challenging in the current environment you know and I think you know I don't think our team would thank us if we tried to organize another you know virtual quiz or something everyone's had their (laughs) their fill of it but you know what we have seen is you know the the team are are, are pulling together you know fantastically well to keep to keep the sort of energy and the sense of community going and we we don't see a drop-off or don't perceive at least a drop-off in in that sort of engagement in the business uh, from from our team at all. We had Ben Scoggins, the managing director of Organic Agency on the show a few weeks ago, and he said something really interesting around the tone and the culture of agencies generally, uh, and his agency in particular. He said that the tone of the agency is often set by your client, not so much by the leadership team or the employees, which I thought was where he was gonna go. He actually said, often it's set the tone is set by your client, which I thought was really fascinating because the culture kind of flows both ways because you're so closely aligned and intertwined and sort of, uh, you know, as, as agency life and, and, and client and client work is. Um, how far do you go along with that? How far do you agree with that? And, and how would you describe what the culture and tone of Revere is today? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I do agree that you get to a point that there is absolutely an alignment in culture between between client and agency. I'm not sure that it's completely driven by the client. I, th- I think what happens is that, you know, from an agency perspective, you know pretty well uh, near the beginning of a client engagement, whether, whether, whether you have that alignment, whether you're going to get on or not. Um, you know whether whether you, you share the same values and same approaches to work, and I think that it becomes pretty clear to everybody pretty quickly if it's not the case. 
you know, certainly in our experience, we now understand that, you know, trying to make those kind of relationships work is, is like kind of, you know, pushing on a closed door. And more often than not, those kind of relationships kind of disappear pretty quickly. So you do ultimately end up definitely, you know, with, with, with very similar cultures. I think uh, it's a great question. How would, we, how would we define our culture? I think that we, we're very collaborative. I think we're very open. We, we run a lot of surveys and encourage a huge amount of feedback from our team. And, you know, we've also done a lot of work over the last couple of years to devolve as much kind of uh, responsibility or at least involvement in a lot of the projects and, and uh, initiatives that actually drive, you know, how the company works. So, you know, most definitely we're, we're focused on getting, uh, getting our team involved in what we do as much as possible. And one example of that is, uh, is, is CSR. Mm. So I think that, um, you know, CSR... Again, it's it, it's 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 changed hugely over the last couple of years. The importance of it, um, you know, outside of a mandatory regulatory process that large organisations have to do, to something that actually you know ha- has a benefit, and, and when you take a proactive approach, it really really pays off. So, you know, I, th- I think that our approach on CSR, where I think we've always done some of the things um, and a lot of the things that are part of our CSR program, but it's only really in the last year that we've properly formalized it. And that's come from talking to and listening to our team hmm. because, you know, we've, and I in particular have learned so much in the, let's say in the last year about, about how important those things are to everybody in our team and so that's led to us driving a, a a pretty a pretty good csr policy um you know so we've we've recently announced an upgrade to that so um trying to do as much as we can so what we've just added into that is we want to support the causes that are important to our team so we now contribute um 50 on top of any money they raise for charity uh, and in 2021, we're, we're going to start doing, uh, you know, paid volunteering days. And the, the feedback and response we've had to that from our team is, is excellent. I think it also will help us to in our recruitment of new people. And also, you know, it, 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 it really stands you in good stead with clients as well, because it's important to a lot of our clients also. So. Mm, it, it really is. I think um, when we were having the, the pre-interview, you mentioned that increasingly so candidates uh, new hires are increasingly asking about your CSR policy, which is something that they really didn't do that much before. So that's yeah. a, a change that you've seen with young, a younger audience, a, a more millennial audience. Is that right? Talk, talk a little bit about that. hundred percent. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, what, what happens in the, in these cases and certainly I'll, I'll speak for myself is that, um, you know, you, it's good to listen. (laughs) And as I say, I've learned so much from, from some, from our team, from certainly from a lot of the younger members of our team to, Mm -hmm. you know, move from a position of, oh, this is, this is something we have to do because it's important to people to actually, yeah, I really get it. And this is something that actually, you know, I want to do because, you know, it's great that we can, you know, firstly, obviously keep our team happy, but also, you know, do all those things that 
can positively make a difference. And I sure. guess in the past, I've kind of thought, well, you know, we're a, we're, we're a small business. What, what can we actually do? What can we change? But, you know, my view on that is, 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 is been changed significantly by, you know, by, by my team, for sure. Really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about COVID-19. You've recently switched to a complete remote working model over the last few months. And now you've got a work from anywhere program that you'll be moving to. So when things return back to normal, so you'll have a complete flexible model. What factors led to that decision and what opportunities and even drawbacks do you think that creates for the agency? Yeah, this is, uh, this is, you know, such an exciting development for us. And, you know, we're, 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 we're really, really excited to see how it's going to go. Um, as you say, yeah, we're not there yet. So, um, the office is still closed. And actually recently we, um, we ran a survey of our team to see who would, who would be happy to go back to the office now. And, and only about 20% of our, of our team would be comfortable and confident to go back to the office now. Hmm. Uh, which I think kind of mirrors the the, the bigger surveys that you, you read in the press. Sure, but yeah, when we when we do get to that point, yeah, we, we're going to go we're going to go to a complete, as you say, completely flexible work anywhere model. So, you know, it's funny, isn't it? The, the pandemic obviously has thrown everybody into a situation that you know none of us would have would have foreseen, and you know, you you think you've thought of everything in your business and all the all the ways you can improve it and make it better. And then out of nowhere, something comes along that actually shows you something that's, you know, so fundamental, but could have absolutely such a, such a huge impact. So, you know, so we've done a lot of work on our systems and infrastructure to enable remote working and, you know, obviously disaster recovery plans and stuff. So when, when things hit, we were in a, we were in a good position, but, you know, things have worked out for us, I think way better than we would have expected. So I guess like many people, we, we shut our office on 16th of March. And, and you know, to be honest, the, the following day was like we'd, we'd always been working remotely. So from a technical perspective, things were fabulous. But as well, um, amongst our team, we've seen, we've seen so many benefits of, of working from home. So, you know, mm. most of our staff, I think, are, are reporting a, a much better work-life balance, you know, kill, killing the commute. I think it, it is important to appreciate that, it's not great for everybody. So, mm. you know, some people have don't have optimal home setups for, for working from home. You know, some of our people are, are in are in house shares and flat shares and things like that. So obviously we we do what we can to support them. But you know, broadly speaking, you know, we've experienced much better productivity amongst our team. Um, and and one that's really surprised me is, is is improved collaboration within and across our teams and also with our clients, you know. So, you know, we're, we're working, I think, more effectively and more efficiently than ever, delivering, you know, better than ever for our clients. So, yeah, from that respect, it's been a, it's been, it's been a real revelation. So once, once we do reopen, we're going to give everyone in the team the power and the choice to work wherever they want, when they want. So that's from me right down to, you know, our newest recruits. So, you know, so long as things are working well, it doesn't matter to us if you want to work in the office five days a week or, or, or one day a month. And I think it's important to kind of recognize that different things suit different people, right? Mm. So um, everyone will, you know, work with their manager to ensure that they're getting the training and you know personal development support they need um 
and you know we're 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 really excited. I think that you know ultimately we want the experience of working for Revere to be the best it can be. And if our teams are are happy and 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 working well, that means we're going to deliver better work for our clients. You know, so and again, ultimately to come back to a to a recurring theme on this conversation, you know, I think it will have a positive impact on um, uh, on our recruitment as well. Um, so yeah, uh, there's definitely challenges. Mm. Um, there are definitely, you know, some very significant, but in my opinion, not not insurmountable challenges. And and there are two re- real real key ones, I think. So the first one and the biggest one would be training and development. So you know, especially of the less experienced members of your team. Sure. So you know, typically, and I think back to you know some of some of my early career experiences and. You know, you, you do learn a lot from being in the environment and listening and to people and asking questions. So that's, you know, that, that, that that's a fundamental challenge to overcome. Yeah. I think, you know, the other just one... Just by osmosis, you just pick things up, right? Correct. Conversation happening in the corner of the room. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that anymore. Yeah, so we're, we're working on, you know, making our training plans even more structured. And certainly, you know, in, in those cases where where... where you know, we do identify those needs for, for training and development. There will still be a significant amount of, you know, office-based hand-holding and office-based training and meetings and, and things like that, you know. So we would ensure, or we'll do our best to ensure that, you know, all of that sort of support is is there. Um, and, and the second one is maintaining, you know, the culture that the business stands for, you know, and the strength of the relationships that make, all of our people collectively a great team, right? So, mm, you know, key. so one of the things we're looking at there, just as an example, is you know to revamp our internal recognition programs and things like that. Um, you know, just to try and make sure that we've still got the the momentum behind you know the the, the relationships of the team. So I think um, you know I'm sure I'm sure we'll make some mistakes. We're not going to get everything <laughs> perfect. Uh, from the beginning, but you know we'll, we'll learn from them and we'll address them. And yeah, I, I, I'm I'm you know genuinely excited that I think it will make us a better business and a better better place to work. So really, really interesting. So you'll you'll still have the office, but people will have the choice to come into work or a sort of work from the off, uh, work from home or work from a coffee shop, exactly. or whatever they'd like. And I think that's a model that a number of organisations across the different different industries are sort of adopting you know come into the office one day a week maybe two the rest of the time you can work from home or sort of wherever yeah I think I think obviously tech companies tend to be at the forefront of that so I I don't think we're going to have any problem convincing our clients you know that there's that it's that it's going to be a good thing sure um so that's you know definitely something that's in our favor um they were probably already doing that before the pandemic anyway but a lot of them do you know absolutely Mm. a lot of them absolutely work in that way so uh yeah We'll see how we go. Really, really fascinating. Let's get into everyone's favorite questions. These these are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So I'm super excited to ask you some of these questions as well. A little bit more personal questions. Who's the person behind the brand uh, sort of questions. So let's get into the first one. Um, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this question, and I'm going to be repetitive. I'm sorry, um, okay. but it, it absolutely is is the sale of Second Two to Inventus, and you know mm. we had we had something pretty special in Second Two, and 
you know, we picked the wrong partner, we sold it to the wrong business. And, you know, Together's now a really successful agency, but, you know, it, it, it hasn't been an easy road. And, you know, we definitely shortchanged some of our, well, ourselves and, and some of our people, you know, we, we could have given everybody a, a better experience and, uh, yeah, better opportunities with it, with a different approach. So, you know, mm. yeah wouldn't wouldn't would wouldn't make that mistake again I, 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 I would hope i'm sure tell us tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about technology b2b tech and marketing so i'm, I'm going to give you a really cheesy answer for this one there, there's, there's just too many to mention um <laughs> you know i think i think i love learning and as, a, as i said already you know i learned a lot from 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 everyone and i think you know it's a good approach to take so you know, I think I think it's important to listen uh, as much as it is to talk. And there, there have been so many people in my career um, who have helped me, and you know, from from big to small. And if they're listening, I'm sure they know who they are. Hmm. Uh, the books question. This is our listeners' yeah. favorite question, um, and my personal favorite question as well. Tell us about some of your favorite books. Books that you keep going back to time and time again or books that have helped guide the way you think about B2B technology and your own career development? Tell us about some of your favorite books. Yeah, so um, it is a great question. I, I don't generally like business books because I, I, I usually find that they take about 300 pages to, <laughs> to say what they could in about 30, <laughs> but they have to pad it out to 300 to, to... To get a speaking gig. Exactly. Um, so with that, you know, with that in mind, I, I'm a big fan of Blinkist, um, okay. which is a, which is an app which you know gives you abridged versions of of the books. So basically, you're you're getting all the good stuff in about fifteen or twenty minutes. So mm. um, w- one book in that vein that you know I am a fan of, um, but again, it is too long. Is um, the subtle art of not giving a, um, <laughs> which is yeah yeah which, which, which I think is it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's a lot of lessons in that. Um, okay. But beyond that, um, I, re- I really like uh, sort of detailed investigative, investigative journalism. Um, mm-hmm. So particularly books around business scandals. So Bad Blood is a, is a really Brilliant good one. Book. Yeah. Um, About the um, uh, uh, biotech uh, startup. Yeah, Silicon yeah. Theranos. That's it. Uh, exactly. I, I think that's excellent. And then uh, there's another one I've, I read recently called Billion Dollar Whale, which is about the okay. Malaysian um, state wealth fund scandal, which is also, uh, yeah, a good read. Okay. Added to my list. Thank you very much for that. What are you What are you watching and streaming these days on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus? What's, what's good? Yeah. What's keeping you occupied? Yeah. So uh, big fan of Ozark. Uh, okay that's 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 just the best um, great show yeah my, my daughter's got me into stranger things so we're, <laughs> we're working our way through stranger things which yeah. took me a little bit of time to get into but yeah it's uh really i can i can identify with lots of the uh 1980s um retro stuff so yeah enjoying, enjoying that sure as well. brilliant what tell us something people don't know about your background so i'm barred from costco <laughs> So, what? so, um, so what, one of my early jobs was uh, I worked for Staples, um, the office uh, superstore, <laughs> uh, and and uh, it was before I kind of properly got into uh, into tech marketing. Uh, and my, I was I was responsible for pricing, and one of one of my roles was to 
go to competitors' stores and and work out what they were charging for paper and envelopes and things like that. <laughs> it was it was before the internet, so you couldn't just Google it. Um, so yeah, I, I got Love it. I got caught writing writing uh, the price of envelopes down in Costco in Croydon, and uh, they they barred me and kicked me out. So for life they did. But you know, to to come back to another another theme that we've been uh, talking about, I, I used the opportunity to ask my boss to sign off a, a dictaphone so that then I could. Uh, evolve my technology and uh, just speak into my collar and not get caught after that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so whenever you want to go into Costco now, what do you, do you have to get someone else to go in for you? Yeah, you have to, I've got, online, I've got, are you bad online as well? Or like, yeah, no, I've got, I've got a, um, I've got a card in somebody else's name actually. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Just deepening the, the criminality. Um, wh- what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Yeah, so I think I, I, I didn't used to do as much as I should, but I think, you know, the current situation has helped a lot of people to to have more time and reset. So, you know, I do I, I do a bit a bit of cycling. Um I've also taken up golf, which I, I think is a you know, this summer. I think it's a, I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. yeah absolutely. It's a great way to, 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 to get outside. Um, mm. you know, obviously with the weather we've had it's been great. And I think that if you play some of the really bad shots that that I do, it's it, it very it makes it very difficult to think about anything else. So it kind of gets everything out of your head. In the last three to five years, what behaviors, ideas, or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes? Yeah, this is a really good question as well. I think uh, I I think for me, I've learned more than before to see the bigger picture and worry less about things that frustrate me but ultimately won't make a difference um you know either to me personally or or the success of the business so you know i think that book we mentioned the subtle art is is kind of definitely Mm. drive drives down that 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 road and yeah definitely kind of uh being able to ignore some of the things that frustrate me but ultimately won't make much of a difference Let's say a young person or a millennial comes to you and asks you for advice to get their career started in the world of B2B tech agency land specifically. What advice do you give them? Yeah, so a, a couple of things, I think. I think that the, the biggest one, most important one is, is be proactive. So, you know, agencies like us, us give, give lots of support to people, but the, the really successful people take it on themselves to make the most of that support. So, you know, to pick the brains of, of the people around them to learn from all of that expertise. Um, so I think that that's really important. And I think, you know, as well, just learn as much as you can about, about the tech, um, mm. because the more you know about that and the more you understand it, you know, the better, the, the better you're going to get on. And then same question for a founder of a B2B tech agency. Let's say a young person wants to set up a B2B tech agency today. What advice do you give him or her? <laughs> um, I, I Join me. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Let's talk. Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest one for me is probably, um, you know, how important it is to, two things, how important it is to have the best people. So, you know, you are only as good as the, the service and the quality that you're delivering to your, your clients. And the better your people, the, the better that will be. So it costs more money, 
uh, in the short term, but it's an investment that absolutely you know pays for itself and, and quicker than you think. And I think the other one is 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 networking, right? So you know, get to know as many people as you can because you know ultimately in, in this business it's it's easier to get business and easy, uh, from people that you know and easier to deliver that business if you know a lot of people that can help you do that. Hmm. Really fascinating. And my final question, James, what is it you know about growing a B2B technology agency today that you wish you knew at the very beginning of your career? I don't think it would have changed what I'd done, but I think I wish I'd known it would be as fun as it has been. Huh. Um, you know, okay. I wasn't expecting you to say it fun yeah. when you said the, F, the start of an f word <laughs> i didn't think it was going to be fun <laughs> yeah no it it, it really has uh, you know i feel really lucky to have had the opportunities i've had and to work with the people i've worked with and you know it's just, it's just been it's been superb and yeah I, it just makes me makes me want to keep going makes me want to have more so yeah it's been a lot of fun absolutely love it james thank you so much for doing this Thank you for having me. We have been speaking with James Collis. He is currently the Managing Director at Revere. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 94 such conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales, marketing, and agency land. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathanagencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NathanAnnieBarber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Megeki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Join me, Nathan Anibaba, on Wednesday, the 14th of October at 4 p.m. GMT for our epic webinar, Seven Priorities for Rapid Profitability and Cost Reduction for Agencies. You will learn what tools agencies are using to streamline, grow and scale their businesses, how to improve your project margins, ways to nurture profitable client relationships, effectively manage your sales funnel, get paid faster by clients and shorten your billing cycle, better calculate your cost rate through project life cycles and be appropriately staffed at all times to service client demand. If you're remotely interested in any of those topics, then this is the webinar for you. I will be joined by an all-star cast of Richard Kazia, the founder and CEO of Wilderness Agency, Zuba Vintani, the COO of White Stratus, Kay Masinek from Google Cloud. I'll be hosting. So join me on the 14th of October at 4pm for our world-class event, Seven Priorities for Rapid Profitability and Cost Reductions. Details to book are in the description. See you then.